Ray, have you ever in evangelism shared Isaiah 53 with a Jew? Yeah. And what's been the response? Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> From them? I'm yeah, I remember the... I, there's a video that just got up with Reuben, the Jewish math professor. Yeah. yeah. And we, we talked about it. And I mentioned Isaiah 53 and how it speaks of a man. It doesn't speak of the nation of Israel. Hmm. And he was just saying, wow. And this is a Jew saying, wow, as I quoted Isaiah and Psalm 2. Yeah. By the way, if you have not listened or if you have not seen that video, I really urge you to go to YouTube and look it up. It is really, really good. The man almost begs for salvation yeah. at the end of the at the end of the interview. Yeah. Beautiful. It really was. It's one of the best I think you've ever done, Ray. We all know I'm crazy. <laughs> yeah, amen. <laughs> So it's no surprise that one night last week as I sat alone on my couch in my living room, I laughed out loud to myself. But the question is, why did I laugh out loud to myself as I sat alone into on the my mirror? couch in my and living does room? Does your high-pitched laughter annoy you as well? The question is, why did I laugh out loud to myself as I sat alone on my couch in my living room last week? I'm going with mirror. It's because <laughs> <laughs> it's because, friends, my brain conjured up a wonderful image of Ray Comfort with a perm. <laughs> with a what? With a perm. Perm? <laughs> what are you talking about? That <laughs> I was just gonna tell you. I just written down here that I accidentally took three of my wife's supplements. So I mean, Wait, what? I'm, you really yes, I, so I'm getting a perm. Yeah, see it was appropriate. Ray looking like Keith Green. Oh. Yeah. Ray, did you back in I mean you guys know back in the day like perms were the thing. I mean guys were. Well we better perms. explain what it is a permanent curl that you get in here, but it's not permanent. Yeah. It's like what you've got. <laughs> it is. Seriously, if I let my hair go, it would Ray, be perm. What would happen? Perm, Wait, if I let my hair go? Yeah, hold on. I want to know what would happen with easy. Would well, you it guys be a know. fro? Like a Middle Eastern fro? You guys know my hair doesn't grow out. It grows up, basically. <laughs> it's, I think it'd be so it. cool to have a huge fro. I was thinking about it the other day. You see guys walking down the street and they got a fro. I think that's yeah. very cool. Yeah, you, you could have like a, a really bad pad. 80s like, flat you'd, top. You'd never get a head injury. I know. Kid and play. It's I bet, funny. I bet you can grow a landing pad up there. When people, <laughs> <laughs> But it's funny, though. When people have like big hair and get rid of it, they look like half the person they were. Well, you're already like half the person. We want you to grow up. <laughs> it's like my dog when I give her a bath. She like <laughs> disappears. She's like, she's it's like a rat. Bad. You clean your dog? Well, I'm That's not like why. you, Mark. I'm a clean person. Mm. Seriously, I was thinking yesterday, I wish I had a dog shower. I'd shower my dog every day if I could. Really? Anyway, Ray, back to your perm. You take the dog in the shower, will you? That's what I do. <laughs> no way. Yeah. No. I always do that. So much easier. That's just There's no right. panic from the dog. They just stand in the corner looking terrified. You spray the, <laughs> you send the shower towards him or her, and it's all over, and they're thrilled. Yeah. I'm not into that, Ray. Yeah. Now, Ray, perm. Um, <laughs> did you ever, Ray, seriously get a perm? No. Uh. What do you think? I'm crazy. I didn't oh, have hair on my, I just didn't brush my hair when I was in my late teens. It was just hanging on my shoulders and sun bleached. Uh, kind of looking like seaweed. Seaweed. How many yeah. guaranteed YouTube views would it take to get you to have a perm right now? Oh, Especially I'd do Ray. it for a million views. <laughs> there you go. You heard it here. Ray, why don't you grow your hair out like really long? He grows because, his ear hair out. Because I'm, I'm, out, of <laughs> like my, really I'm out of my teenage years. I've grown up. No, that, that yeah, would be I, so cool to I, see you with long hair. Really? No, yeah. not really. <laughs> <laughs> you made me shave my mustache off when we were in Israel. Oh, that was the greatest joy of my life. It's terrible. 
Seriously, because you know I detested your mustache. That's no secret. <laughs> Everybody knows that. And I ser- but I honestly, did, I could not believe my eyes when you walked out the next day from your hotel room and your mustache was gone. I, I was like, are you saying moustache? Mo- yeah, it is moustache. Moustache? Mo- that's what I say, moustache. My moustache. nose is so important it had to be underlined. <laughs> Ray, when was the last time you were completely clean shaven though? I know you, that you cut it down really low, but you still In the late, uh, late 20s. I, I tried eight times to grow a moustache and it wouldn't come through. It was pathetic. It was like, like you, like you get. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, but remember when we were in Israel and you came out with your, your moustache? Yes, day? and I had breakfast in the morning and as a teenage kid that really Love me, he says. You don't look like Ray Comfort yeah, anymore. Yeah, remember? And I was just shattered. He was terrified. And then my wife didn't like it either. She said, "Grow back." She was pretty Did angry. She really? Oh yeah. yes, I had to have trained nasal here to fill in the gap. She <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't happy with me when you got back home, huh? No, well, it was me, not you. She yeah. never. Got well, I made you do it. it. Yeah, well, you didn't yeah. make me do it. You just strongly said you don't do well with peer pressure. Right? Knife to my throat. You really don't prove it. Did Did you ever have a mullet, Ray? A mullet? Yeah. No, nah, that is disgusting. I those saw are, kids. Those are in right now. Oh, it's horrible. I saw like half of our listeners have mullets. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that means half our listeners are Canadians. <laughs> oh, they're awful. Mullets were big in Canada. They're big right now. Back in the day. I know. Everything goes round in circles. Oscar, don't you do it. Have, you're you're into everything that's in. You're into no, everything that's, that's in. That's not true. Wow. Uh, I did tell my Pretty wife true. that. During our two-week break in December, I might grow a mullet. No, please. <laughs> oh, I think your hair's like mine, though. It will just curl, be yeah, this little it puff work. in it the back. Work. Yeah, Mark, mullet? No. no. You never did a mullet back in the 80s. Kirk did a mullet. I Yeah, I'm, I'm not a mullet guy. I don't know if it was a mullet. It was just a bush behind him. Uh, <laughs> you know who had so the worst it. mullet ever, I think, was um, Mel Gibson. He had a pretty nasty mullet. And, That's business uh, in the front, party in the back? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is what well, Rachel used to say. This they used to use this acronym. You're not going to remember it. No, it was that oh, party in the front, business in the back, business in the front, party yeah, in the back, something like that. I feel like Albert the Muller. Needs, Albert yeah, Muller needs like a pseudo, like pseudo character of himself called Albert Mullet. <laughs> it's like this younger, like rebellious rock that and would roll be, self. That would be Stop fun. It, be good. He's gonna he's gonna make us take his episode <laughs> off Albert Mullet off our list. The Adventures of That's Albert funny. Mullet. Yeah, that'd be fun. Uh, that'd be a fun thing to do. Really, I think so there was a th- this other guy that had a real bad mullet. Um, was it Ray Bolton or Bolton? Michael or? Bolton. Michael. Michael. <laughs> Michael. Oh yeah, Bolton. from the eighties. <laughs> remember Bolton. his man? It was like oh, did he? Uh, is he still around? I don't know. Well, Easy still listens to the music. The worst. <laughs> In his prayer closet, out comes Michael Bolton from underneath. <laughs> the worst is balding guys with mullets. Those yeah. are the worst. I think they're trying well, to make up. Well, it's worse when the mullet comes over the Phil front. <laughs> cover up. Flip it over it's the a, front. It's a cover up. Yeah. Uh, okay, friends. Our, our apologies to any Exploring guy. the yeah. messianic prophecies of mullets. We're going to lose all the mullet hearers. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. They're, they're all going to be gone. Uh, all right, friends. Uh, here is a wonderful comment from Lizo Bezo. <laughs> Lisa Pisa, twelve sixteen. This past Lent, I gave up TV and entertainment and got to a point where I couldn't listen to any more worship songs, so Christian podcasts became my thing. I randomly came upon the podcast when Ray visited Janet Parshall, or as Ray says, Janet Pashal, to promote one of his new books. Ray, you are my hero. I thought he was awesome, so I gave this podcast a try. First episode I listened to was on Job, and I think they talked about tofu. <laughs> Tofu. <laughs> <laughs> we did talk about tofu. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah. Oh, dear, dear. 
then I heard Easy's voice. Sorry about that. But I kept listening. <laughs> <laughs> Did it really say that? Yes. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> it said, listen, I heard Easy's voice, dot, 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 but I kept listening. <laughs> I can't count how many episodes I've listened to now. This podcast has changed my walk with God. I'm a young better can- or worse. <laughs> right. I'm a, young, I'm a young cancer survivor and gave my life to God a long time ago and thought I was doing pretty well. In addition to focusing on reading scripture, this podcast has changed my life and helped sanctify my walk. Mm. The fear of the Lord is a real thing and has transformed my life. You guys fostered that in me. And I thank God for you all the time. I have shared your podcast with so many people, and I think I drive my Bible study attendees crazy because I talk about you guys all the time. Also, since this spring, I've gone through major anxiety slash panics issues. Anytime I feel alone, afraid, or panicked, I listen to you guys. You don't know how this impacts the impacts you are making for the kingdom. I also say hi, friends, all the time now in Easy's voice. Oh. God bless you. And Easy's voice is now my favorite. No. Love you all dearly, Elizabeth. And that's you yeah. Add that, you add, why do you add, why do you add lies? Redemption. Excuse me. I was, it's hang true. On. It's is right this, here. Yeah, it's her name's Elizabeth. That's why she likes your little squeaky voice. Is that voice. the one that also says, please read? Please read Easy. Please. I've noticed this, that people will put uh, compliments. Did you see that? Okay, well, I was, at a, church, I was at a church preaching two weeks ago in They're Colorado. And they were like, it's so clear that Easy reads all the comments written about Easy. And I was like, thank you. Of course, of course. Uh, Elizabeth, thank you so much. Seriously, when I read this to Rachel the other day, I bawled my eyes out. That's why I didn't cry now. I got it all out. Just the thought that the Lord has used us in this way in your life uh, means more to us yeah. than you know, Elizabeth. So mail. thank you and uh, God bless you. Mm. All right, friends, this podcast is brought to you by Why Christianity Solving Life's Most Important Questions booklet. Have we done a panic attacks podcast? Uh, I don't know if we've done a panic attack one. Anxiety. Wow, we did one on anxiety. We did? Anxiety attacked. Yeah, because that was uh, one of my pastor's sermon titles. So we must have done one. Yeah, we're probably talking about it. Why Christianity booklet, Ray? Was that a question? <laughs> why Christianity? Why not? This is one of our top selling. That's, that's the entire oh, bus, by the way. Sorry, say it. What's that? Over a million copies are in print, I think. It's yeah. very, very popular because it's, it uses that uh, illustration of the, the four things you're offered in a plane, and it's, it makes, yeah. makes it very clear. Well, we have an episode on it, too, on yes. the YouTube channel. One of my favorites, for sure. Yeah, really, really good. My friend Eric Jewell, Bean, is in it, and I'm in it, <laughs> 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 which is what really matters. But that was a fun one to film, right? Going oh, to yes. that uh, airplane graveyard? Yeah, it was. It really, it was really, staying on the wing of a plane? Oh, you know, that was, was really cool. Great. Yeah. All right, friends, make sure to check it out. Why Christianity? Solving life's most important questions. Look like. Don't forget the Living Waters mug. People are still getting these, guys. They're still getting them. Hey, listener. Have you ever imagined yourself having a box of goodies for you to give away to every friend, loved one, non-believer that crosses your path? Well, now you can get one. That's because Living Waters is giving away 10 free boxes of goodies every single week. That's eight in the USA and two overseas. And this is being made possible by a faithful partner of ours that has given us funds to make these resources available to you for free. Each of these boxes has $100 
That's right, $100 worth of tracks, books, and even your very own podcast mug. Go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast, fill out the form, and then listen to the end of the episodes where we will be announcing our winners. Livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. Good luck. My son ordered one yesterday, and Sue came up to the office and said, how often do you see your son, Noah? And I said, no every day. Way. Noah ordered it? Yeah, Noah ordered Thanks, one, Noah. paid for the shipping and oh, everything. And, how cool. And Sue goes, I can't have him pay for this. <laughs> go get it. I go, well, now all my kids want one. Thanks, <laughs> yeah. Sue. <laughs> uh, in case you're a listener, if you're the kind of person that needs water to survive, the Living Waters mug is for you. Yeah. <laughs> Give the mug a hug. But wait, hey. there's more. Yeah. Yes, there is. Don't forget the evidence study Bible. All at livingwaters.com. Ooh, good. All right, friends. Time to get started with the show. I'm so excited about this. Psalm 53 is one of my favorite psalms. And so, <laughs> don't need Did to get into it. I've been if, digging into it all week and memorizing it. Imagine if you prepped for Psalm 53. Uh, yes, what? friends. Today we are exploring the messianic prophecies in Isaiah 53. Now, we were going to do this a week or so ago, but we put it off because this is such a hallowed ground yeah. of, of Scripture. I mean, all Scripture is hallowed ground, but this is super special. Yeah, and I was thinking how we, when we when we approach it, we've got to uh, handle it with white gloves yeah, because it's so special. It is special. And especially when you consider the fact that Isaiah wrote Isaiah. 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 Ray, seriously, you guys say it like that? Yep, I, I had to relearn it when I came over here. I think Rachel finally changed her ways in that regard. Mm -hmm. That's pretty annoying. Mm -hmm. Isaiah. What's wrong with that? Isaiah. <laughs> you don't, <laughs> you don't, you like don't feel that? that's unnatural no, to say it like that? No. Let me hear you say it. Isaiah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. That was, that was my gladiator voice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he wrote it around 685 BC, so almost 700 years yeah. before Christ came. Honestly, guys, I, I know we're gonna jump into it, but I just wanna say at the outset, I don't think you need anything else in the pages of the Old Testament besides Isaiah 53 to demonstrate that Christ is who scripture tells us he well, is. Well, God would disagree yeah. with you. <laughs> I was thinking that, but I didn't wanna say it. Yeah. But no, I see what you're saying though. I'm, saying, from, yeah. I'm saying in terms of you know, being able to to recognize, like, how can you not realize this is Jesus? Specificity. That's what it has. What's that? It's specific. It's yeah. Very, very clear. Specificity, yeah. Yeah. Did I say that wrong? No. Oh. I misheard you. Um, but, you know, I think I watched a video once where someone in Israel was going up to people. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Tell us about it, right? It's a guy that loves our ministry, and he was just reading Isaiah 53 to people and saying, where is this from? And they said, it's obviously the New Testament. But uh, it wasn't. It was the uh, Old Testament. Yeah. And I, I actually watched a video this morning, not many views, but it was a guy who's free preaching, I think, in New York, and he was reading Isaiah, Isaiah, and nobody was listening to him. It was just, mm. and, and suddenly two Orthodox Jews stopped and listened to him. Wow. And they said, that's talking about us, the Jews. Huh. And he right. says, it can't be. It can't be, and he, he told them why it can't be. Yeah, it, yeah, it would make no sense in that context. And you see verses too within Isaiah that make a differentiation between, and, and usually they'll say that because it says the servant of the Lord. And there's times when, when Israel is called the servant of the Lord, but you see in there where, the, where there's a differentiation made 
uh, between Israel and the servant. They're, they're mentioned both within the same. Text. Are you going to read it to us? Isaiah 53? Starting from Isaiah 52, yeah. verse 13, because that's, that's right. The context, I have that in my notes. Yeah. Hey, Scotty, I'm hearing the resonance in my voice now. It's coming back. I like it. <laughs> oh, no. We've got 40 minutes of yeah, easy talking. Yeah, now I'm going to talk more. We've been trying to adjust these mics. Uh, but yes, you're right, Ray. Uh, we go back to 52. Unfortunately, sometimes, you know, with verse breaks, we don't get full context. What was the coffee break in the Old Testament? Yeah. <laughs> but let me just say this real quick, and then I'll let you guys jump in. I know I see Oscar there just, just That's the ready, ready to jump in. Yeah. Uh, but but I listened to a, a great sermon by MacArthur on this. So uh, a number of the things I'm going to share come from that. But he, he highlighted the fact that Isaiah is really kind of split into two. So you have chapters one to 39, and those are dealing with with God's judgment on the Southern kingdom of Judah. And they, they had gone, they'd gone really bad. You know, God had talked to Judah about how they went, you know, further than even the pagan Gentile nations went. And then we know they went into captivity to Babylon. There were three phases in that regard. And then chapters 40 to 66 deal with, with salvation for Israel. And starting in chapter 42, that's where we see the servant of Jehovah being mentioned. And then it culminates in chapter 52 there at the end and then into 53. And Isaiah has been called the gospel of the Old Testament. Yes, Spurgeon. I think it might've been Spurgeon. Yeah. I'm sure others as well, but, and, and it's pretty interesting when you look at the parallel, right? So when you start at chapter 40, verse three, uh, the salvation section, it says in verse three, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert, a highway for God. And that's how, you know, some of the books in the old, in the New Testament open up, right? With John the Baptist mm-hmm. that you know, was referencing him. We see that in Mark 3, 1, Luke 3, 4 to 6. Then at the end of Isaiah, chapter 66, we read this. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And then we see in Revelation 21 and 22, that's how the the New Testament closes. Mm. All right, Revelation 21, 1. Now I say a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the uh, first earth have passed away. And so... It's just amazing that parallel. And that's why I think some reference it as a gospel. All right, your turn, guys. No, we're good. (laughs) (laughs) When when are you going to read it? Uh, I will, but I want to see if anyone else has something they want to say first. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's important to to not get uh, ahead of our skis before we get into God's word, especially because we start, you didn't hear, you've never heard of that one before? No. Out of our skis. Getting ahead of your skis. That's when you break a leg. If you jump off a, a, a ramp skiing and your head goes in front of your skis, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Well, that almost, that almost happened to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah, ask easy. <laughs> <laughs> it almost happened to me. No, so we don't want to get ahead of our skis. I think uh, easy brings up a really good first point, and I think there's two points that we need to lay sort of a foundation for before we get into it. Point number one, which is what Easy's doing, is the sum total of of uh, the book of Isaiah. You want to read Isaiah 53 within the context of the book of Isaiah. And then the second point is the nature of prophecy, since we're, since we're focusing specific specifically on the prophetic nature of Isaiah. So point one, just to summarize what what Easy is is alluding to, which is where where does the book of Isaiah fit in the grand narrative of redemptive history? It sits within a uh, Babylonian exile, and it's important to recognize that as Isaiah writes, as actually all all, all of the authors of the Old Testament wrote, they saw themselves in the context of the Exodus story. And so everything related both back to the Exodus story and it 
it alluded to something looking forward of a new kind of exodus. And so you almost have like three exodus stories happening interwoven with each other. You've got the exodus story with Moses and God's people from Pharaoh. And then you've got this new exodus story in which Isaiah and the Jewish people are being exiled to Babylon. And they're waiting for a new kind of exodus where they will return back to the promised land. And they're repeating all of the similar sins that were happening in Egypt. People were getting comfortable. They were becoming too much like the culture around them. They weren't living faithfully as exiles to the glory of God. Once they are removed from exile and headed towards the promised land, they very quickly forget about the goodness of God and his salvific work in their lives. So he's talking about past tense, the Exodus story, present tense, the Babylonian story, but he's also talking about a future exile uh, in which we are living post-resurrection of Jesus, in which we are living as sojourners and exiles in this world waiting for the second coming of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so all of these things are sort of at play in one story, yeah. which also leads me to the idea of prophecy. I think, unfortunately, a lot of people think of prophecy as like this fortune telling, like, you know, there's, there's these codes. And so they try to use, like, they try to build their own Excel spreadsheets and they try to create a rubric to be able to go, look, I've, I've calculated all of the prophetic words and, and here's the, the, the sum total conclusion, whether that's prophetic language towards Jesus or future prophetic language. And that's simply not the way Isaiah or any other prophet would want you to read what they wrote. That's also not the way Christians in the, in the New Testament or Jews in the Old Testament would have read prophecy. The biggest clue is they didn't have Excel, <laughs> right? So step one, you're doing something wrong. But more than that, what they saw, instead of trying to think of prophecy as a rubric, they saw prophecy as a way of understanding the role or the place in which they were in God's redemptive story. Uh, And so all of these Old Testament stories are how Christians and Jews would understand their own story. It's, It's, put it this way, the Exodus story is to the New Testament and Old Testament people what pop culture is to us today. It's how they told their own story. So here's the best example that I can give and then I'll shut up. In basketball culture, we've got stories and we tell our own stories in the context of basketball stories. So imagine one day you and I are gonna go play basketball easy and I say, I'm gonna put up 81 on you today. Easily. (laughs) But what would that, what would 81, what what is the, do you know what 81 references in basketball culture? 81 points, Kobe Bryant. Kobe. Oh, yeah, of right? course. Yeah, yeah. So here's the thing. If somebody heard me and they misinterpreted my language, they'd be like, oh, that's prophecy. Oscar's going to put up 81 points against mm-hmm. Easy. And let's say I don't. I only put up 20. Then they would have to reinterpret. Well, maybe he meant he's going to, over the sum total of all the games they play, put up 81 points. And then if no. they didn't get that, they'd think, oh, well, maybe... Oscar's descendants would put up 81 points against Easy's descendants. You see, they would be misinterpreting the language that I was using. What I was trying to do was use culture to tell a story that I wanted to demolish you. Uh-huh. In that same way, the, the authors of prophecy 
Pharisee are using Old Testament language to tell a new story. That's how we have to read prophecy. That's how we should read Isaiah 53. So that's the rubric. That's the narrative. I don't know what rubric. Rubric cube. I had to look it up. Did a you, codex. Mark, do you know what your rubric is? Yes. Yeah, of course. Uh, Oscar, what if I said I was going to put a hundred on you? Where would that be from? Uh, that would be Will? Uh, Wilt Chamberlain. Yeah, good. All right, enough of that. Uh, no, good stuff, Oscar. Thanks for giving us that background. All right, here we go. Isaiah, begin again, uh, again in 52, 13 to 15, and then we'll jump into... You going to a deep voice? Or yeah. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and very high, just as many were astonished at you. So his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. Now into Isaiah 53, verse one. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a shoot out of dry ground, he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. And they gave his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He, was put, he has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Whew. How many times have we read that, mm. you know, but still every time it's filled with so much freshness. And I think that deep reminder of what Christ endured for us. Yeah. It's all about the cross. Amen. Yeah. The horror of the cross. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Isaiah itself is cited 13 times in the 27 books of the New Testament. And then Isaiah 53 in particular is cited uh, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and First Peter. And we've talked about this before, you know, uh, there are some who will look at Old Testament prophecy, again, like Isaiah, uh, like, uh, um, Oscar alluded to, and because of their misunderstanding of how it works, we'll say, oh no, no, this couldn't have applied to Jesus. But we have to remember that the New Testament 
through divine inspiration, validates for us what God placed within the Old Testament pages as prophecy. So there's no questioning it. There's no, oh, I wonder. That validates it completely. And so we need to have confidence in that regard, and we need to be able to, to share this. Ray, have you ever in evangelism shared Isaiah 53 with a Jew? Yeah. And what's been the response? Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> From them? I'm yeah, I remember I, there's a video that just got up with Reuben, the Jewish math professor. Yeah. yeah. And we, we talked about it, and I mentioned Isaiah 53 and how it speaks of a man. It doesn't speak of the nation of Israel. Hmm. And he was just saying, wow. And this is a Jew saying, wow, as I quoted Isaiah and Psalm 2. Yeah. By the way, if you have not listened or if you have not seen that video, I really urge you to go to YouTube and look it up. It is really, really good. The man almost begs for salvation yeah. at the end of the at the end of the interview. Yeah, Beautiful. it really was. It's one of the best I think you've ever done, Ray. Um, now, Mark, I want you to jump in on this, but but let's let's remember what we're told in Luke. This is twenty four. Uh, 25 to 27, this is on the road to Emmaus. So then he said to them, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, which would include Isaiah, mm -hmm. he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Hmm. And then in verses 44 and 46 uh, through 46, it says, then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. We talked they, about and that. They, and they got heartburned. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. The first case of heartburn. Um, Gregory of Nazarenes. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. In Probably not. No. Um, and referring to Jesus, I, I, I sent this to Easy earlier today in a text. Uh, it just uh, stood out to me. Uh, he said, now bear in mind, the year is 381. And I like the insight of this. He said, he began his ministry by being hungry, yet he's the bread of life. And he ended his earthly ministry by being thirsty, yet he is the living water. Mm. Jesus was weary, yet he is our rest. Jesus paid tribute, yet he's the king. Jesus was accused of having a demon, yet he cast out demons. Jesus wept, yet he wipes away our tears. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver, yet he redeemed the world. Jesus was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, yet he is the good shepherd. Jesus died, yet by his death, he destroyed the power of death. Hmm. That is a yeah. wow. Amen. Yeah, that's In 381. Oh, that's so good. Uh, I love what James Montgomery Boyce said. He said, the cross stands as the focal point of the Christian faith. Without the cross, the Bible is an enigma and the gospel of salvation is an empty hope. Yeah, It all goes back to the cross. And I think that, you know, like Paul said, I, I you know, I, I knew nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know, that, that heartbeat behind what fuels us as believers, recognizing that, it all revolved around the cross. That was the, the, the pinnacle of all of God's redemptive history, you know, for mankind that, that, that was laid out ahead of time. And, and he did that, you know, for us. And so, you know what I'd like to do? Piper, uh, John Piper broke it's down. Juan. Juan Piper. <laughs> <He's Hispanic>. uh, <laughs> he, he broke down uh, Isaiah 53. And, and I want us to, to just look at each little point here and just talk about it. So first he talked about the, the servant 
the servant, he said, knew the purposes of the Lord. He said in the middle of verse 11, it says, by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant will justify the many. Why, do, why does by his, what does by, by his knowledge mean? It means that the first work of the servant was a work of knowing. It means that the servant was not taken off guard by the will of the Lord to crush him. He knew it and he agreed with it. So guys, we know in Gethsemane, Jesus was crying out to the father, if there's any way this cup can pass from me. But ultimately we know that was Christ kind of manifesting, you know, the realities of the cross that, that was coming and, and, and the wrath of God that he was gonna bear and the separation from the father, whatever that really means, it's hard for us to fully comprehend it. But he knew, he had knowledge that that was his mission. Hmm. He was born so that he might die. And so let's just talk about that a little bit. I mean, every every episode that we see in scripture, Christ was aware of the fact he was going to the cross. In fact, he would tell the disciples and they were they didn't understand it. Yeah. They were detached from it. Uh, he was born knowing that he might die. That's, that's really good. And uh, I think Isaiah, what you see Isaiah do is that he alludes to Abraham and Isaac here in these last chapters. Uh, this is amazing. This is from a book uh, that I that I have found to be very helpful by James M., uh, James Hamilton, Typology, Understanding the Bible's Promise Shape Pattern. So he points out, he says, and if you notice in Genesis 22, verse one, God calls on Abraham. Abraham replies, here I am. In Genesis 22, verse seven, Isaac calls on Abraham. Abraham replies, here I am. Genesis twenty two eleven. the angel of the Lord calls on Abraham. Abraham replies, here I am. And then he points out in Isaiah 52, verse six, so just before 50, uh, 53, it says this, therefore my people will know my name. Therefore on that day, they will know that I am the one who says, here I am. He goes on to say that when joined with the other pointers to the narratives of Abraham and Isaac in the immediate context, this statement seems to be saying Yahweh telling his people that he will play the role of the father in Genesis 22 narratives saying as Abraham did, here I am. In other words, what he's saying, what, what, what Isaiah is pointing out is that Jesus is the better Isaac and that Isaac was spared but Jesus would not be spared. Right. His blood would be spilt. The one and only son, the precious one, his blood would be spilt for the salvation of the people. Mm. Yeah. And Ray, you know, I'd love you to just comment on this for a moment. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I willingly lay it down. I mean, the willingness of Christ to do what he did for us. Yeah. Um, which is the essence of servanthood. He was an absolute servant. Behold, my servant, God says. And when Jesus was baptized, it was as though God, if I may say this, couldn't hold back his joy hmm. and saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And I often look at the words of Jesus where he said, I always do those things that please him. Wow. What human being could say that? There's nothing we do that can please God. Even our righteous deeds were as filthy rags in his sight. And here was the willing servant who came to lay down his own will and do the will of the Father, not my will, but yours be done wow. for our redemption. Yeah, you know, Mark, oftentimes we, we forget that the, the servanthood of Christ was tied to his, 
crucifixion. I mean, even scripture says, I mean, he did not come to serve, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, even in in uh, Hebrews, where it talks about the humility of Christ, he took the form of a bondservant coming in the likeness of men and became obedient even to the point of death. So, I mean, that's that's his service toward us. Yeah, and that's, that's the picture of humility and meekness all wrapped up into one. You know, when we read Isaiah 53, we see the suffering that is foretold of the Messiah to come. And I was, I was reading a commentary uh, earlier, and he was it was talking about... Jesus being called a man of sorrows because of how much suffering he had to endure. And he, and he broke it down into three different sections. And because of time, we won't be able to get into all this, but he, he brings out the fact that he first left the glories of heaven and he entered the human race as a man. This is what is known as the incarnation. Yeah. And as the old hymn says, the creator had woven himself a robe of virgin flesh. Wow. What, what, what picturesque language uh, that, that is put on there, right? Yeah. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, the central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation. They say that God became a man, right? And that flies in the face of all the other religions, right? Because religions are filled with uh, man's desire to want to either elevate themselves to God or how man is God himself. But Christianity is how God became a man. And this is, according to the commentator, the first act of suffering that Jesus endured as he became one of us. Mm. Right. And the second point he said was he suffered all the things that humanity suffers. He suffered rejection. He suffered hunger and thirst. He suffered temptation when he was out in the wilderness for the 40 days. He was misunderstood. And he was accused of being demon-possessed, right? So he understands the suffering that we will go through. He understands the temptations that we experience. And then finally, thirdly, he suffered the wrath of God as the sin bearer. Hmm. And you, we, we, we talk to non-Christians all the time about the implications of this. If, if you do not turn to Christ in faith and realize that the wrath of the Father came down upon the Son— and in so doing, it satisfied the demands of the law, or you got to do it yourself. Well, what does that mean, to do it yourself? Oh. And the commentator uh, went on to say, every sinful action that man commits is being stored in a celestial drawer that will come out on judgment day. Ooh. And when God puts his hand on that knob and opens that door, you will fall to the ground. Mm. I mean, well, that, that's like, that that right there is picturesque. And, and that, that is a scare, scary thought because every idle word man speaks, you have to give an account. Yeah. I, love, wow. I love the opening of that in the sense that it's so important to realize that Jesus suffered greatly. Uh, and to your point, I mean, it, I think one of the most telling things too, because people often don't want to talk about the wrath of God. They don't want to talk about the, the reality of hell. And you alluded to to the undeniable fact that you must talk about it because to your point, uh, Jesus suffered, but he did not say, my God, my God, uh, take this starvation from me. Hmm. He did not say, take these nails from me. He did not say, take this crown of thorns. He did not say, take this cross. He said, take this cup. 
What cup was he talking about? All throughout the Old Testament, the cup is the representation of the fullness of the wrath of God. Yeah. In other words, the thing, the one out of all of the suffering that Jesus experienced, the one thing that his focus, his primary focus was on was the wrath of God. That was the greatest of suffering that Jesus was gonna take on, which means his death is not just a symbolic representation of love and sacrifice. It is a substitutionary atonement. He took on the fullness of the wrath of God. He who knew no sin became sin so that we sinners could experience and live within his righteousness. Let me comment on that. Boy, I absolutely love that. Um, you know, our friends over at G3, Josh Bice, he wrote an Bice? article. I've been saying Boyce this whole time. Yeah, it's, it's Bice. Bice. My yeah. bad, Josh. <laughs> Spelled B-U-I-C-E, so you would think what it do is. I know? Yeah. He wrote an article on uh, the wrath of God that is found over at uh, their uh, website, g3men.org. Yeah. And this is what he said concerning the wrath of God. He said, in some circles today, the love of God is elevated above the wrath of God with clear emphasis. And that's a tragic mistake. Mm -hmm. It does not review, reveal the true nature and revelation of God as he has put on display in the pages of scripture. We must be balanced and true to what God's word actually states. God is not a loose cannon losing his temper with people. God's wrath is not a reckless rage, an uncontrollable anger, a senseless fury, or an unjust vengeance. The wrath of God is a precise and controlled response to the belittling of his holiness. Everyone who perishes under the wrath of God in eternity will not be because God lost his temper with them and mistreated them. On that day, everyone will know that God has treated them with precise justice. And three trillion years into eternity, every sinner who is cast into hell will still know that God has never mistreated anyone. <laughs> I applaud Josh for that. Wow, that is really powerful. You know, Ray, uh, the second point that, that John Piper highlights is the servant poured out himself to death and the emphasis is death. There, you know, uh, you you talk often about death and how people are held captive by it all their lives, and you know, we 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 know we're going to die, but but think of of Christ, who is the eternal God, knowing that He's going to experience something that, in reality, is an impossibility for God to experience, right? In the fullness of His essence, He was coming to die. Yeah, I mean the 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 thought of that is is mind blowing and. You tie, don't you tie that ultimately to his love for us that he'd be willing to do that? Well, you can't separate um, his love from the cross. When we, when we minister the love of God, it's so important to preach it in the context of the cross. So many comments, people say, look, you're in, on YouTube channel, you're just, you're just unloving. And uh, the goodness of God brings us to repentance. I, I like to say, check out that verse in Romans chapter 2, where it speaks of the goodness of God bringing us to repentance. It's sandwiched in wrath. Yeah. Paul is speaking wrath-filled words when he mentions that, and it's God's grace and his goodness that draws us. I love what a preacher once said, talking about Jesus suffering on the cross and then rising from the dead and victory over death and Harry kicked over the throne of Satan, snatched the keys from him and mm. said, behold, I'm he that lives and was dead and I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys to death and hell. Just looking at verse three, where it says, we hid as it were our faces from him, speaking of humanity, hating the light. And uh, w when you hide your face, you don't want it in your vision. Mm. 
Get out of my peripheral, which reminded me. Of <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly Brian, where you're yeah, going. Yeah, exactly. Right. Brian Reagan walking through the uh, stand-up comedian walking through the first class and looking at people who have got their little laptops and they're saying, "I'm making money right now, right now." And he says, money. "Right now, bring me the head of a, 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 a pig or something." And then he says, "Get out of my peripheral, because we're the riffraff going through first class." And he says, "Get behind that curtain and pull that curtain across." And that's how people are with Jesus. They don't want to talk about him. They don't want to think about him. He's not in their thoughts. They hide their faces from him. Mm-hmm. And it's because of the guilt of their sin. Wow. I love the way you put it easy. And it's actually, what, what you just said is the stumbling block uh, was and still is the stumbling block for so many um, Jewish people. It's the idea that a God, that God would die. That was the thing that was so, you know, this this idea that God dies is a scandalous idea. It's Same this, with Muslims. They're, they're offended. That's exactly right. It's this great scandal that feels unimaginable. And yet it's the beauty. It is scandal. It is a scandalous act. It is the beauty and the reality of the gospel. I love the way one of my favorite books on church history, I know I've quoted it before on this podcast, uh, Bruce Shelley's book, Church History in Plain Language, the opening line to the book, which is one of the best openers I've ever read. Christianity is the only major religion to have at its central event, the humiliation of its God. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> it's wow. and it's that's a reality that's the scandal that holds people so many back we get it it is scandalous yeah. act and yet it's also the most loving act that's ever been done yeah i mean it, it flies in the face of everything this world stands for it's so counterintuitive you know yesterday uh i came across a video uh, of an interview f- back in, I think, 1959 mm. with uh, the novelist uh, Anne Rand. Uh, she wrote the book At- oh, Atlas, Atlas Shrugged. Shrugged. Atlas Shrugged, yeah. What a wicked, evil woman. Let me just say Man, that. Man, that book, when I was in the financial industry, that book was so popular. Yeah. It was like the book to read. Yeah, she's a very wicked woman. And, and basically, she was saying she's creating a new philosophy and and saying that this whole concept of altruism, of laying your life down for other people. It's a bunch of nonsense. And and I think it was Wallace he, he was interviewing and he said to her, he said, what are you talking about? Back in that day, right? That people had some sanity <laughs> compared to today. And he goes to her, this is, this is the foundation of our culture. And he talked to her about, you know, Christ. He said, based on the, on the teachings of, of Christ, that, that we lay our lives down. We love people. We give our lives away for other, others. And basically, she went on this rant about how only people who deserve love should be given love. I mean, th- this stuff was insanity. This book sold like 10 million copies. Oh, yeah, one of massive. the biggest selling books of all time. But it flies again in the face of the world. It, it it goes against everything the world stands for. But but this shows all the more the the wicked, sinful, fallen nature of man. It's all about self mm-hmm. versus a life that's given over to serve others. I, I want to quickly read a, a hymn that, that I was great, listening easy. to earlier uh, today by uh, Philip Bliss. He was uh, from eighteen thirty eight to eighteen seventy six. He was an American hymnist, composer, evangelist, Bliss? and teacher. Bliss, <laughs> <laughs> He was also a contemporary of D. L. Moody and uh, Fanny Crosby. So um, the hymn goes like this: "Man of Sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah! What a Savior." Bearing shame and scoffing rud, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a savior. 
guilty, vile, and helpless, we. Spotless Lamb of God was He. Full atonement can it be. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Lifted up was He to die. It is finished was His cry. Now in heaven, exalted high. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And when He comes, our glorious King, all His ransomed home to bring, then anew this song we'll sing. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Wow. Amen. That's so good. Wow. What a what a great place to end, Mark. You know, we, we, we can't go through all that <laughs> Piper laid out here. Talking about the servant bore the sins of many, the servant rose from the dead, uh, the servant interceded for transgressors, the servant justifies his people, the servant bears the offspring in his death and resurrection, and divides the booty with the strong. But there's so much there. I mean, how, we, we really should have done like four <laughs> episodes on this. But Mark, that was so good. And I hope that that we keep what Christ did at the very center. Uh, D.A. Carson put it well. He said, I fear that the cross without ever being disowned is constantly in danger of being dismissed from the central place it must enjoy by relatively peripheral insights that take on far too much weight. Whenever the periphery is in danger of displacing the center, we are not far removed from idolatry. Mm. So may we keep the cross, the center. Amen. May we recognize that what happened with Jesus was not accidental. It was a preordained plan of God. It is the very basis for our redemption. And may we continually proclaim the cross. May we lift up Jesus as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so that he, through his death, as Isaiah prophesied, would draw all men unto himself. Mm. Well, there you have it, friends. Another one for the history books. Boy, I thought there's going to be no silliness after you just said all that. <laughs> no, I think we could do a little bit of that. Yeah, don't forget to check out what I mentioned at the beginning, Why Christianity, Solving Life's Most Important Questions, booklet, Living Waters mug, the Evidence Study Bible, all at livingwaters.com. Remember, guys, you're keeping us at five stars by your comments, your ratings, and don't forget to subscribe so that you can get prompts and tell others, tell a friend. It's been a blessing to hear people say, hey, I, I'm telling everyone mm. about the podcast. That's why it keeps growing. So do that. Why do we want it to grow? So more people can be encouraged and uh, blessed and built up. Because easy needs more comments. See, sí, <laughs> me gusta mucho comentitos. And uh, don't forget, again, to send your comments to podcastlivingwaters.com. And there you have it. Thank I don't you. think you said it. <laughs> One of the most important things you can do is subscribe to the podcast. I did say it, but you weren't listening. It rips the algorithms into helping us get more people to listen. Yeah. So thank you for that. They heard it, but you didn't. I said it. You weren't listening. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> we'll see you here next time on the Living Waters podcast. The ultimate cure for insomnia. <laughs> <laughs> Winner, winner, chicken dinner. I have no idea where that ridiculous saying came from, but friends, we do have winners. Winners for the podcast giveaway. That is the Living Waters podcast. We have Angela from Yucca Valley, California. Yvonne from Crestline. 
California, Brooke from Clayton, North Carolina, Andrea from Anderson, Indiana, Elias from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Becca from Lincoln University, Pennsylvania, Lowell from Yakima, Washington, Don from Charleston, Illinois, John from Ford, Australia, Good on you, Mike. And Dave from Will and Lane, United Kingdom. Congrats.